The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. for returning or showing up for maybe the first time to the Brandon Peters show. Today we'll feature a discussion of the 1992 film Buffy the Vampire Slayer and joining me for that I have a fabulous guest host of Courage Strides podcast one of the authors of the Empowered Woman series book four and a certified coach and healer Jennifer Rayford. Thanks Brandon that's a great introduction. Was that was all the time. <laughs> I can do your voicemail for you if you want. Oh, that'd people be great. still leave voicemails? It gets really I don't, weird. So like, I don't listen to voicemails. <laughs> it's like, missed call. Okay, maybe I'll get them back. They didn't text, so maybe they didn't need anything. Exactly. I think the voicemail has gone by the wayside. <laughs> it had. Like, I get ones like, what? Like, I have people, like, a work, they'll leave a voicemail. I'm like, what? You're a work person. You get a call back. Like, yeah. Yeah. If I didn't answer, then it can either be a text or an email or schedule a meeting. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Like, ooh, no. Yeah. Voicemails. Mm. And now they, they even descri- they write them out. They voice to text them. So, Which is hysterical. Really, actually, just I'd like people to leave voice messages just so I can see what it transcribes it as, because that alone is hysterical. It is. Uh, yeah. I'm like, wait, what? Now I have to listen to this. Yeah. So, so I guess that's maybe their way of getting people to listen. 16 squirrels hijacked a 7-Eleven. I know that's not what my mother said. Maybe, but... <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh, so how are you doing? I am doing great. Thank you. I am excited to be on. I'm excited to talk about Buffy. I'm excited Mm -hmm. to, yeah, it's just excited to be here. Podcasting is an exciting world. It is an exciting world. It is an exciting world. So let's get into you a bit for people who are like, who is this Jennifer Rayford and why is she on this program? I hopefully listen to every week. So you and I, we know each other. We to work together a bit yeah. um <laughs> so <laughs> not, yes and no kind of we're a team but yeah anyway so you've recently in more recent years have taken this route as like a, a life coach healer advisor type thing what has led you to that avenue and inspired you to become that or use your skills in that fashion great question you know it's interesting because people Life coaching and, and coaching in general is one of those things that is much like yoga years and years ago when people are like, what is yoga? And now there's a core power on every corner. Uh, that's what the coaching industry is evolving into, where it's becoming less of a, you do what? That's weird. Do your parents know? And much more of, you know, people understand the the need for it. So it's interesting because it wasn't anything that I knew it existed, but you know, I hit a point in my career where I was like, I want more. I want more out of life. I want to make a bigger impact. There's just more that I want to do. And I started working with a coach myself when I hit the point where I'm like, I, you know, I've been to therapy off and on. I don't want to look, there's, you know, a point time and place to look back. I want to move forward. I can't change the past. I want to move forward. And so that's how I found life coaching. And I started working with a coach myself on, you know, a lot of different things. And and then it kind of clicked for me one day. It was the perfect marriage of the the skills that I had from my, the corporate world, right? I was in sales and leadership. I love people development. Being a, a leader of people is still, you know, the, my favorite job. And the marriage of that with my own life experience and lessons that I've learned and the ability to create my own business around it and to, right. you know, to help people right, make an impact. So it was one of those where it was really just if I had a magic wand to wave for what I wanted to do, it was like, boom, right there. That's kind of what led me to it. As a speaker, I mean, you're a tremendously talented speaker. I know from experience, though. Well, like you having... me in sales meeting, drop the F-bomb in front of many, many, That's many people. Good. So <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, no. No, definitely. You have you have a skill in that in that craft, and so you went to a, did, did you have a life coach coach? Is that a position where they like I'm well, a life coach, but I coach life coaches? Or you know, it's interesting, and and I have a little bit of a different philosophy on this. It, I am a certified coach, 
a board certified coach, but I also am, am of uh, the slightly radical philosophy that sometimes you can go to school all day long and that doesn't make you qualified to do shit. And I don't <laughs> care how many degrees and certifications you have if you're not right. what you do. I went through a certification program. She mentored me a bit and, and I started taking on clients for her. You know, I think experiential learning is the best way to do it. So mm-hmm. that was kind of how it happened. And then I've been doing it now for three years, a little over three years. Excellent, yeah. excellent. And you just dropped a new website. I did. I did. I just I was very, very excited about it. It's, uh, you know, as I'm sure you can relate, it's one of those things where you're working on it. And sometimes as it's coming together, you're like, I don't know, this is going to drill. Oh, my God, I love it. It's fabulous. <laughs> that part I hated is now my favorite. <laughs> yeah. My favorite. I like that. So, yeah, so I, I've uh, sort of re- rebranded my my business webpage from from Courage Rise. Courage Rise is still the podcast and, and my group coaching programs, but have now uh, my website is just my name, JenniferRayford.com. So it's very exciting to have launched that and launched some new services and new programs on there. And also, yeah, you mentioned your podcast and that is going to come back. Correct. It is. It is. It took uh, it took a pause, uh, you know, candidly with the, the pandemic last year. It was one of those things where from a creative perspective and a coaching perspective, I personally found myself challenged to know the right note to strike with so much that was going on. And the other side was, you know, frankly, in the last year, there are a lot of things I want to say that people seem so reactive and unreceptive to that. I'm like, I don't even have the energy to deal with this bullshit right now. Uh, <laughs> right, wrong, or indifferent. That's the truth. And that's, you know, I always stand by, I'm going to, you know, say what's true. And so that's, what's true. But the podcast is reviving. It's coming back. I'll be going back in the closet. My cat will be continuing to meow outside the door, wanting to get inside and see what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, I get that sometimes. Like, just stop it. Stop it. I'm yeah. here. You can hear yeah. me talking. I'm not talking to you. Um, you can hear him on the third episode. He's like, let me in. <laughs> like sometimes, sometimes, yeah, editing, I'll, I'll hear like, <laughs> damn. damn it. Yeah. <laughs> it up. Let it go through. Let it go through. But yeah, no, your, your podcast like definitely is very, I mean, very open I mean, your your first episode was like killer. Like, if you want to get hooked on a life coaching advisory <laughs> podcast, this is the first episode of Courage to Rise. Thank you, it's- thank you for that. I, I appreciate it. You know, it's really it's interesting because I'm, I'm very open about the things that have happened to me in life, the mistakes that I've made, the things that I've learned from. I think, in my opinion. And, and I've had this confirmed by client after client after client that I work with is a lot of us walk around feeling like we're the only one. And that this is like this whole imposter syndrome that forms of like, I struggle with these things, but I can't share that because everybody else has their shit together. And the truth is everybody is working through things and the more open and, and vulnerable in a healthy, healthy, vulnerable way we are about it, the safer it makes it for other people to open up. And then, you know, it, that creates openings for growth and happiness and all kinds of other good stuff. So Thank you. I did have a little bit of a vulnerability hangover after I recorded the first one, though. I'm like, it's yeah. all out there. Oh, it's all out there. <laughs> no, it was inter- it was interesting to to hear, and like I I had no idea about it, but or anything like that. And it was just like, wow, yeah. that's, a, that's a story right there. <laughs> it's the, the origin story. It's it's yes. uh, pretty pretty incredible, and just you're calm talking, like you have a really good cadence there with your. Speaking and technically proficient for starting right off the bat, never having podcast. I was like, what? I remember contacting him like, what are you? What are you doing? Like, you knew to go in the closet. You knew all like it's. I was like, your sound quality is really good. (laughs) That's awesome. I appreciate it. I just yeah. I I was like, well, let's see. I've got where? Where can I go? Well, I've got a small closet, lots of clothes, sound buffer, cool. So, (laughs) like I said, it makes bringing guests on a little awkward. But there's technology for that now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, there is. Yes. Yeah. They have the virtual green room, the the big the big conference area. Yeah, definitely. And people know how to use it thanks to the pandemic. People know how to use Zoom now. They know yes. I used to do Skype back with my old show and teaching people how to use Skype or people getting mad they had to sign up for an account just to be on the thing. I'm like, well, there's no other way to cheaply do it when you're a, you know, not for profit, not type, yeah. type thing. Yeah. And it's, it's perfect timing. Cause that's the, the next the vision that I've always had for the podcast is not only for it to be topical, but then also to start to bring on people to talk about their own experiences, right. Of like, what is your story of, of rising, like of finding the courage to rise from that, that dark night of the soul or that dark transition or, or whatever it may mm-hmm. be. 
So that's sort of the next evolution of the podcast is going to be that that element of it. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Look forward to that. It did return briefly in January, right? There was like a... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to, you know, I have to say the other part of it is it it wasn't just, you know, kind of what I had alluded to earlier. It was a component of it. But the other piece of it was that the pandemic, one of the positive things that came out of it was that it gave me a lot of time to do some, some of my own like learning and development around, you know, adding on a, an apprenticeship around healing practices and really getting deep into other things that I can add on. And so that's been a really, really exciting thing. Cause I don't know that I would have had the bandwidth otherwise to, to spend time doing that and learning those things. So that's been pretty cool. And that was taking up a lot of my energy as well. So it's, yeah, I started a one in, in January and then I got into some other things. I'm like, all right, I got to get back on it. So this is my public commitment. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, I mean, you don't have a determined release date, so you're, no. you're good. <laughs> they just get happy when you get a bundle of them. Like, oh, yeah. there, there, there they are. There they are. <laughs> there they are. Um, you're also an accomplished author now through stuff in print. Yes. Your own ISBN number and everything. I know. I know. Not everybody. <laughs> I was like, oh, my whole life was ISBNs up until a ten and a thirteen. That was a very exciting day. I was like, I'm on Amazon. You know, it's funny. It's the little things that I, you know, anything that you accomplish in life. There's always. I'm a, such a big believer in keep the joy around that. Like, I don't yeah. ever want to get to a point in my life where it doesn't excite me that I'm on Amazon. <laughs> yeah. No. Exactly. <laughs> bookstore. I don't mean to, you know, call out Amazon specifically, but in any bookstore. So, so yeah, that, that was a really exciting thing. And I, um, I've always loved to write and, and my blog has been a great expression of that. And I have plans to do a full book of my own soon as well. But that was another one that was a really great opportunity to partner with other women to really vulnerably share our stories and, and share, you know, the learnings and lessons from it. And you want to talk about a vulnerability hangover. That was a good one. When that, that one published, I was like, Oh God, it's out there. (laughs) No shame, nothing. It's all just, you know, every, every author I've known that's, that's written things like that. You do have, it's a very normal thing to have the vulnerability hangover afterwards. And, you know, it's, it's worth it. And, and it was interesting at that we did a book launch party for it and how many people came up to me afterwards and shared that it really resonated with them and why it resonated with them. And, and I think that's part of my thing is a lot of the things I talk about appeal to everybody. It's not just, you know, women in a certain age or, you know, men at a certain stage in life. It's, it's common things that I think everybody deals with. They don't always have the words for it. Mm-hmm. You know, may not have had to stop to think about it, but so yeah, so it was exciting. It's exciting to see my little author profile on, on Amazon. Yeah, definitely. That's, you know, that's, that's super cool. Like, I think like I've had some of my friends that are like, well, yeah, I self-published it on Amazon. I'm like, yeah, but you can buy a physical hard copy of your, of your it's got a cover. It's got, it's still really cool. It's still, it's still great. As a big proponent of physical media with all things, I, I, I still think that's great. You can put it on a shelf. Like, cause I don't pull up my phone and go, look, I own the Mona Lisa. Look, see, right. uh, I got a couple of copies sitting behind me. I look at it every now and then. There you go. Like, <laughs> yeah. I had the guy who made the score for this show was on and he's had, he's tries to, well, I am not a big deal or everything, but I'm like, dude, you have vinyl, multiple vinyl records of your thing. He's like, he's like, yeah. I was like, do you have like a shelf with a bunch? He's like, well, it's slowing down. Cause I keep giving them away to people. that want to see like, I was like, but you have vinyl out there. That's a collector item now. Like a vinyl, those are yeah. limited edition things. Like, be proud. Like it's, it's there, your history printed, you, you know, Yeah. You, if you're going to look up an ISBN number, you're going to show up there. That's the, <laughs> that's the thing. That's <laughs> hope nobody wants a desk copy. <laughs> no, no. That goes back to e- the Amazon. Oh, itself. <laughs> Golly gee. Yeah. Je- Jennifer and I used to work in textbooks. So we're, that's why if you're like, why are they laughing about why what is an ISBN? why why we we had to deal with those numbers all the time so hazard of the day job (laughs) so so you have come full circle yes uh, yes it is is all complete there awesome and i also think like people should follow like if if you're interested in the maybe you just didn't even pick me up you have a lot of great posts you put on your like your instagram page and i just like with advice or you know just experience and stuff and it's a nice little like oh if that's a good reader maybe it helps someone out something like that like it's definitely because people like to follow random memes or things that maybe uplift their spirits you, you're a perfect person to 
just give a random follow to and maybe one of that things help you. Yeah, thank you for that. And most of the cat and dog are in the in the stories, but the post tend to be- <laughs> everybody's human. Like you gotta get a human. If you're gonna follow something, you're gonna get some sort of their humanity. Well, you know, and I think that's the it's the beautiful thing. Like we we were even talking about earlier, it's the beautiful thing about and doing this type of work in particular. You know, there are a lot of coaches out there. I'm not going to resonate with everybody, right? I don't want to resonate with everybody. I want to resonate with the people that my message lands home for them. And like I said, even if one post helps one person, then to me, that's a that's a great thing. Is there any sort of place you'd want to like transcend this to like, like bigger, longer goals if things keep stepping up or oh, not if it's a plan, brother, you got to have when they stand, you got to have a dream, you got to believe Sorry. when I need to take if out of my vocabulary when, you know, I know a coach that can help you with that. Oh, there we go. There we go. There we go. No, I, I do actually, that's been, again, one of the things that came out of the pandemic was that, you know, it really gave me a great opportunity to, to draw in and do some, some longer term planning in terms of the impact that I, that I want to have and the the scale that I want to reach and the people that I want to reach. Mm-hmm. I love working with one-on-one clients, but by the same token, you know, my goal ultimately is to get to the point where, you know, I have offerings for anybody, you know, people right. that, you know, $47 offer here and there and that kind of thing. So I'm doing a lot behind the scenes. The website's just the first step of that. So that was sort of the first step into it. Somebody had had asked me the other day, oh, well, you know, something about a job. I'm like, no, 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 I'm committed. This is happening. This is not an optional thing. Like, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> this is my purpose. This is why I'm here. So we're doing it. <laughs> you give it your, you give it your shot. You do it. You, you're, yeah. I mean, you are doing it. So I'm doing it. <laughs> it's it's <yeah>. done. <laughs> yes. Happening right now. So that's, that's really great. And I, hope to see more from it and continue to follow your successes as it keeps growing and growing and look forward to your podcast returning yes and it shall (laughs) i don't listen to any shows like that but i've got yours on subscription (laughs) and i have listened so well thank you so there you have my support I appreciate it. I have to, you'll appreciate this. When I was, when I had the, the inspiration for it, it was, and I shared this on the podcast. It was literally one of those things where if I didn't do it, the universe was going to drop a microphone on my head. <laughs> there was a, a guy in our building that's a local restaurateur that that's into audio. And, mm-hmm. and he was, I, I was inspired one day and ran downstairs and said, Todd, Todd, can you mix music for my intro and outro for my podcast? And, and I was like, he's like, yeah. I was like, okay, I'll be back later. Just wanted to make sure. <laughs> So oh, yeah, yell at me. Like <laughs> He's like, I think I got hit by a tornado, but sure, I'll do it. I've got there are many, many things floating in my head. Excellent. <laughs> I tell my clients all the time. They know this. I'm like, hold on, six thoughts just traffic jammed. I got to unpack them. So. Oh, I hate that. Like I have that with my wife, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, hmm, don't talk right now. I'm sorry. I have to finish these three thoughts. Okay. Yes. No, yeah. Like, I'm like, I'm wild. Like there's something going on in my head. Like at every second there's like 90. Yep. Things. Million miles an hour. When I go on my walks. I like to walk alone because I need to, need to do that. So. Yeah. He's every girl's fantasy. I'm Pike. Hi. She's every vampire's nightmare. I'm the chosen one, and there are vampires? There's something going on around here, something real weird. But together, they're turning a prom from hell. Stab him in the heart! Into a dream come true. Christy Swanson and Luke Perry. Buffy, you're not like other girls. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Buffy the Vampire Slayer is directed by Fran Rubel Kazui, and this is really it for her. She's an executive producer on the television show and Angel, but she didn't, they didn't ever set foot near it. Probably just to avoid legal stuff. It's written by Joss Whedon, who is now known as a scumbag. It stars Christy Swanson, Luke Perry, Donald Sutherland, Rucker Hour, Paul Rubens, Hilary Swank, David Arquette, Sasha Jensen, Stephen Root, Natasha Gregson, Wagner, and Candy Clark. Also, if that wasn't enough, there are small roles and cameos by Ben Affleck, Thomas Jane, going by Tom Jane, Ricky Lake, Rick Dean Logan, who is Carlos in Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, Alexa. Texas Arquette, Seth Green, and Slash from Guns and Roses. It's a packed movie here, but 
Jennifer, you brought Buffy the Vampire Slayer to the table like, bam. <laughs> why Why Buffy? Why Buffy? Well, it's always a, a loaded question when somebody asks me either what's my favorite movie or what my what's my favorite book. I'm like, but it, it depends on what's the mood and what's the genre. Like, I can't pick one. Right. But Buffy was one of those that when the movie came out, it was so, at the time, it was like campy, dark comedy, just sort of mm-hmm. so off the wall. But I love that kind of thing, right? And right. it was so funny with the one-liners and the just such a funny little storyline. And when I first saw it, I loved the humor in it, loved the strong female character. And then, I mean, obviously the TV series is an entity of itself, but love the TV series as well. So when you ask for a movie, I'm like, oh, Buffy, we got to talk about Buffy. <laughs> Yes, definitely. I, I'm also one of the people I I, lo- I like the movie a lot. I the TV shows one of my favorite shows, period of all time. One of them, and and it just struck me because I really like this movie. And then when hearing that like Joss Whedon, like oh I hated that movie and it all went bad and all this stuff, I was like well, I I still liked it. Yeah, it, it, that was interesting to me too because I I hadn't realized how much it was a departure from what his initial vision was of mm-hmm. it. Cause I like it as an entity of itself. I, to me, I separate them. The movie yeah. is separate. I mean, the TV series is very, which I also love. It's my, one of my top three TV series and the movie, just the, uh, to your point now watching it back and see, I didn't even notice Ben Affleck was in it when uh, who has been Affleck at that right. point. I don't, I'm not even sure school, t- <laughs> school ties happened yet and stuff like yeah. he was. Yeah. Before you and I talked, I had watched it for the first time in a long time and went, huh, Ben Affleck. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. He's just a little guy out in Hollywood trying to make it. Yeah. But but I just love, I love the, it's got so many great one-liners in there. And mm-hmm. I think Paul Rubens does it great, the, that part. And then when he comes back at the end. Oh, with, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <okay>. ah, oh. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, this is great. Then for Paul Rubens, this was post Wee. He had cameoed in Batman Returns at the beginning as the Penguin's father. And they were just trying to say, like, this guy's nothing like Wee. That's what the, the goal was. And he had, I think this was trying to also put a new image out because he had been caught for masturbating in a movie theater yeah. in Florida. I'll always remember that because we were vacationing in Florida as a family <laughs> at the time when that news broke. I didn't remember the state. I remembered him getting caught doing that. I always thought Pee Wee. I personally, I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was Florida because I remember I, I put that memory together. <laughs> I always had the Pee Wee Herman show. It always freaked me out as a kid. I didn't like it. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I love the weird Pee Wee stuff. I like no, and now we're in an era like nobody probably remembers or cares that that happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're like, oh, so many worse things have happened than that. He <laughs> probably wasn't the only one doing that in that theater. Let's be honest. Like yeah, an adult, yeah. <laughs> It was funny because I, I had read that um, one of the things I read around Joss Whedon in the movie itself was how much he enjoyed working with Paul Rubens. Yeah. And that was interesting to me. And then and then by contrast, apparently not with uh, Donald Sutherland, yeah. but how accommodating and considerate that Paul Rubens was. Yeah. And I, I thought he played a great part. Of that movie. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and Donald Sutherland at this point, he was kind of in a do what the fuck I want stage. His superstardom was the 70s. I thought he, him and Elliot Gould always are like mythological creatures and somehow those were the two sexiest men alive in that decade and i'm like what how <laughs> like that really i mean they're not like awful looking men but those were your those were your heartthrob guys <laughs> like i okay okay but yeah he's you know just kind of taking what he wants here he's got big movies small movies just kind of taking parts and at the time Whedon has like nothing clout wise and Donald Sutherland could do it at once and when you're in a production and money's involved and you get this big star like Donald Sutherland you kind of let him go yeah for Joss Whedon and it sucks that he couldn't be more accommodating to that but yeah yeah what happened I I get why both would be at where they're at with it. Yeah. It, it was interesting then that that was part of why the, I guess his wife made some comment to him afterwards of like, well, maybe later you can make a movie that's actually, that you actually like, like you can basically read your buffets. Yes. <laughs> right. And yeah. And he, this is a learning, he was on, so like his parent, he comes from Hollywood royalty. His parent, he was working on Roseanne at the time and he did worked on the parenthood TV, the first parenthood TV show. He was also though, like a, a big time go-to script doctor in Hollywood at the time. So there's stuff that he touched that we have no idea whether he touched or not. So, and after this, he went on to Toy Story and Alien Resurrection, another movie he berates that (laughs) 
so we see a theme here of if you don't listen to me, you're not doing it right. But yeah, he's kind of like a Carrie Fisher, where Carrie Fisher, she worked on so many scripts, like touching them up, fixing them and stuff that we don't we don't know exactly what her roster is because only yeah. certain names get published on those. So he he definitely was one of those go-to guys. And despite his, we have Justice League that uh, when this airs will have just come out over the weekend and there's tons of controversy with how he behaved on that set during his time on Buffy, all this stuff. But despite that, he still was one of the most important voices in the 90s. Like him, Tarantino, Kevin Smith, Richard Linklater all changed the way we got dialogue in movies. Yeah. Um, Using a lot of pop culture talks, sounding like people's conversations. He was one of those people that really changed characterization and how people spoke in television and movies. And so he'll have that despite some of his grotesque behavior that we've been a come to reading about lately yeah yeah that's such an interesting thing because it's something that that i say carefully because there's never any excuse for that kind of behavior Mm -hmm. and and i also would like to see more of the not discounting the good things that a person has like honoring their work not honoring the person right yeah yeah that's there's the some people get mad about separating the art from the artist right but that's because general audiences go to a movie and they didn't know who made it. They didn't care. They liked that movie. Exactly. And you can't change somebody like, I'm going to probably piss off my listeners, but Annie Hall is one of my favorite movies of all time. Regardless of your feelings of Woody Allen, that movie, I saw that before things happened or whatever you want to believe about what's going on with him and yeah. know, that whole thing. That movie still affected me because I didn't have that outside thing. But it seems people want to pick and choose with that stuff because Joss Whedon did The Avengers right. and Buffy. And when people have heard about Joss Whedon and all that and like problem with Charisma Carpenter and it's really like, oof. But people come out and be like, well, Buffy's more than just one guy. A lot of people worked on that. It's It did what it did. I'm like, okay, but that's true. Like a movie isn't just a guy and his camera, like he had crew, they, like with Andy Hall, there's Diane Keaton's performance. There's all sorts of people in that movie. There's the cinematographer, everything else. Like they kind of pick and choose what they're going to do that with. I'm like, if if the Avengers is more than one person, then so is the other things that happen. But yeah, you know, and it's and and <laughs> I'll try not to piss off your listeners, too, but I try to say things in a, in a very balanced way. But this is and I not only do I truly believe this, but this has been proven out is that, you know, a lot of people and especially in this last year, get into bucketing mm. and labeling people. It's the human underneath. Humans are we're well, I, I'm trying not to say the F word. <laughs> say it. Say it. We came here to fuck up, but not this bad. So. Yeah. <laughs> Part of it is I feel that there's that it's it is separating those things, right? It does mm-hmm. by no means does it excuse the behavior. There's never an excuse for the behavior. Guy's mm-hmm. got some issues. Like he's right. got things he's work on. He he hurt other people through his actions. Not okay, never okay. And by the same token, let's not denigrate or you know completely throw out the good things that came from it. Right. Because art is there to it's art. He's creating art, and art is there to make an impact and it's there to make you feel something. And to your point. Most people don't know who creates this stuff. Right. You don't know. You don't usually pay attention. You don't know anything about the artist when you go to look at the painting until you find Mm -hmm. out, oh, all this horrible stuff. Well, does it make his painting any less? We're not talking about this. We're talking about the art that he created. And let's take Mm -hmm. this as a one-off and separate that from... We are probably taking medicines and using stuff from people who were just awful human beings back in the day. Well, I was going to say, I mean, this is one of those things of where does it stop? And it's a very slippery slope there, but nothing excuses bad behavior. That's his human. His human sucks. Yep, the art yep. that he creates, I love and will always love. And well, that's I mean, the, he, the story. So. When it comes to Whedon, like there are people working in television and film right now that are there because of the work he did inspired them. Like he's one right? of those people. And he gave like way to like uh, David Fury, Marty Noxon, some great showrunners that he brought on board, gave chances and stuff. And and it's like, well, man, like, do we have to? They they dealt with him, they sat with him. So are they accomplice? You know, they, are yeah. they accomplice? Like, who? Where do you? So it's like, well, this art happened. We now know this, but it's still. I still feel the same way about. It sucks that there's a sort of phoniness to some of the the women empowerment stuff he was writing and producing because of how he was treating them. There's some sort of phoniness to it, but it still rings true because it's there to watch and feel. And if you're not, you 
ignore the person behind it, which I mean, not ignoring what they're, they've done, exactly. just take exactly. it at face value at what the performers are giving you, what the, the camera's telling you, what the director got from his script. Like it's, yeah, it's really interesting. It's a real tough thing for some people. It's really tough. Some people are easily can cut it out of their life, but some people have grown up. It's been a part of them for so long. It's not as easy for, right. for people to, to ditch. And I'm sorry if I offended you with, I'm, Listeners, I'm more than willing to talk about this with, with you. I, I am. I'm open to hearing, like, I, I have no problem talking about it. Like, I'm open for the conversation, totally. But there's a lot of things I just see, like, a lot of, like, oh, let's condemn this. But I like this. Oh, this right. is the thing we liked. Got it. So let's take it easier on it. You know, it's because with, uh, I hate to bring up Woody Allen again. Kids today aren't watching his films. So it's easy for them to trash and throw them away, the old stuff. But, like, a lot of them have been infected by Buffy. They all love the Avengers. Yeah. Well, and, and that, again, that comes back to, to me, there's a lot of, and this is part of what I'm challenged by is the, the lack of reasonable discourse anymore mm-hmm. that in an ideal world, <laughs> mm-hmm. we could have a conversation about this and share opinions and share ideas and hold that without reacting. Cause what I see right. a lot of now is everybody comes out and reacts. They're just reacting, reacting. Oh no, this, 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 you're not even listening. You're not even <laughs> taking a breath and looking at the, right. you know, the gray areas that are here. And it's not all black and white. And that's to your point of you, you know, if we're going to cancel, you got to cancel everything then. And then where does it mm-hmm. stop? And then we, we look at the things that have gone on that shouldn't have ever gone on. Right. But are, so let's address that. Yeah. And, and also let's not, you know, it, it's, I will, I will always love Buffy. It's always going to yeah. be one of my favorite shows. But I think I, he writes great dialogue. Right. I love it. Lines. And I'm all for the cancel culture of holding people accountable exactly. and things like that. But people like something before and that's like, they're not loving the person. They like the movie and they probably already own it. So they're not giving money back in the, so. the human from the art that they created. And like mm-hmm. you said, there's a yes to accountability and also let's, yeah. Cause once you've created something, it's its own being almost, yeah. you know, like yeah. it's, well, it is, it's, it's what yeah. you've, you've basically given birth to that. I mean, right. the, you know, the Buffy legacy and everything, and that was the a creation. And, you know, I think we would many times be probably, horrified by what goes on behind the scenes in many people's lives if everybody laid everything bare so right um that and again if, comes back to the work not to not to but it, that's the work that i do is let's get to the human let's get to yep. the human underneath let's heal the things and deal with the things that are the that are the cause that are the root cause of these things mm-hmm. right and so then you know yeah and i think i agree with the when you have positions of high power high paying big spectacle people yes stop giving them the opportunities yes those yeah. like the kevin spacey them yep all right well no man let's not stop casting him let's stop that right. i get yeah. that i get that but the past work is there already yeah. and it's not what it is but let's talk about the movie we have buffy <laughs> this is good <laughs> We got way off track there. Sorry. So it, it fits one of our players here. The other, the, yeah, I mean, honestly, it's kind of unavoidable because it's there. So it's better right. to address it. And right. <laughs> yep. Yep. And excellent. And right off the heels of Justice League on HBO Max. <laughs> so, um, so the director of this, Kazooie, she did this movie called Tokyo Pop. And it got some con film festival buzz and she landed upon the script for Buffy and she worked on developing it with Joss Whedon when, you know, it was Martha, the immortal waitress at the time. And they got it together. They started helping fund the film and really helped to develop it though. Their relationship with Whedon soured through the production of the film. But the cool thing about her, while I said her career, she didn't go anywhere director wise, thing like that. Her and her husband did found a company called Kazooie Enterprises. And what they did was they imported and exported independent Japanese and US films to each country. So they were like really stockpiling and bringing different art from another country into the US and stuff. And I think, I don't know if they still do that to today, but that's pretty important, I think, in its own. Yeah, right. that's interesting. I didn't know that. But yeah, the, I mean, the movie, Whedon, obviously, he people know the story that he was sick of seeing the blonde girl get chased down the alley and kill. What if she could fight back once or something like that? It started as like, what if this nobody was this powerful person, but then he went to the blonde, get an alley, which is an interesting thing. Cause a lot of times in the horror movie, the hero is the quiet, nice girl. That no one's paying attention to something. Christy Swanson in this movie is not nice. She's like, girl, you don't like the get a new girl. Your pike. Yeah. Your pike at the beginning of this. And, and then you have to watch her come around on this arc to come to realize that she's grown up a little, her friends, she's passed them on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really, it's portrayed pretty well for a 
for an 80-minute movie. I mean, there could be some more, but they get through it pretty decently. Yeah. And it's interesting because I, so I was also an English major. So when I look or watch anything, I can always look at it critically from a couple different angles. And now I, you know, add in the the coaching perspective as well. And so now I, I watch it back and I go, oh my God, there's so much here. <laughs> <laughs> She, she goes through almost her, her own, which I would liken to the awakening that a lot of us go through where you kind of are, are in your life and operating uh, in asleep in a lot of ways. Right. Mm-hmm. And she has these friendships and these relationships that are empty, that are fake. Right. And even the, pa- the, the relationship she has with her parents is she's like, it's possible. She thinks my name is Bobby. Like there, there's no connection. There's no warmth. There's no realness to it. And she goes through this whole awakening process and basically realizes that, her friends are just vapid and empty and judgmental and jerks and all this stuff where she comes out on the other side, having formed real relationships with Merrick, albeit short. And then obviously with Pike. And I think it's just such an interesting arc for, you know, you can draw a lot of parallels from that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's really, really good. And in life, you know, like you, you have relationships that just maybe get to a point where I did this and then we're just not there anymore. Like we're, we just are here because we did know each other. Like, you know, and there's a lot of people I think have a hard time in lessening those relationships or just, Hey, let's just move on. Cause this is, we're different now. Yeah. And that's, that's an interesting thing that happens in, I mean, obviously I'm in the, in the personal growth industry and spiritual growth as well, that as people evolve and it's not, right, wrong, or different. It doesn't make the other people, there's nothing wrong with them. It's just everybody's on their different path. And sometimes as you, your life changes and evolves, people fall away naturally, you know, mm-hmm. and it's not, yeah. again, it doesn't, it, it's not, it shouldn't be contentious or big and dramatic, but it's just like things, these don't fit now. They did before and I'm grateful for it. And now it doesn't fit anymore. So I, I saw very many, a lot of parallels with that as well. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And Chrissy Swanson herself, she was, she was like the it girl, right around this time one of them and she was coming off hot shots and uh the glorious mannequin two on the move um yeah the uh no i mean are any of the mannequins good i don't know well you know i don't know kim cattrall holds a special place in my heart for the first i i I will say uh, yeah i I will probably do episodes of the show on the mannequins just because I think it's so fun. It's such a, how did that happen? Like, I loved it when I was a kid. I did too. And then I think about like, the weirdness. I'm like, did somebody want to have sex with a mannequin? Is that how we got the screenplay? Like, man, mannequins are hot. What if one came to life? Like, or Splash, mermaids are hot. I don't yeah. know. There's a whole, there's a whole scene there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just the, the, the weird things we could come up with in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then uh, she would follow this up with the program and the chase, which was the one where Charlie yeah. Sheen held up a uh, place with a Butterfinger. Yes. <laughs> remember that movie. And then she kind of just, by the end of the 90s, it was Christy, Christy, Christ, yeah. the other Buffy. The, the other, other Buffy. Buffy. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, she's she's perfect fit here. I mean, that's who I would use. I, I saw somewhere where, like Alyssa Milano, which... Mm-hmm fine but this i i like what christy brings here and she's quite good and definitely has chemistry with all she works well with uh donald sutherland and like yeah. luke, luke perry yeah doing uh, his dylan <laughs> phase well and i think that's the that it needed the just the right the right actress for that to be able to make that because she does a very convincing ballot vapid valley girl yeah and then to to make that and even when she has the moment with merrick where she's like you made a joke and you know there's the warmth and she mm-hmm. had you know she has that connection and that and you really she does it quite well and it is i think not everybody could make that work in that way yeah definitely and some of that weed and stuff like you said with the made a joke that pops right through like you could totally yeah. see that in the tv series so you can you can go back now and kind of glean what what was his that made it through right. still and what didn't. But yeah, uh, yeah, Luke Perry, who I think Luke Perry d- delivers in this movie. He's actually quite, I could see what people really saw in him in this early stage. I think he's a highly underrated performer, but yeah, this was his big movie yeah. during now. They actually moved the shoot to be around him. And yeah, then he followed this with that eight seconds bull riding movie oh, that yeah. um, <laughs> they were hoping for an Oscar for him. It didn't happen, but He'd leave 902 and 0 a couple years after this. But yeah, he's quite good. And I think he really grasps the dialogue and, and stuff like that. And I did read where Whedon asked him on the set if he'd ever seen Near Dark, the Catherine Bigelow film. And he's like, bro, are you kidding me? Like, and he's like, oh, we're, 
I knew he was a good man then. So yeah, so. yeah. No, he. Just, I love the line where he, now you're a coat rack. Yes. <laughs> yeah, quite good. And yeah, he he has his change too because he's a greasy, little, like just scrummy hair, and then he's like slick back, like uh, when he goes to the dance. Yeah. And, I will say is that, you know, the end of that, the, one of the other interesting things in, in this is, you know, yeah, she's a strong female character and this gets into, there's a, a part at the end where they're dancing. Right. And he tells her like, I've saved, you know, save you a dance or whatever. And right. she says, are you going to ask me? And he says, well, I suppose you want to lead. And she says, no. <laughs> <laughs> And it's interesting because I, I've done a lot of study into masculine and feminine energy and dynamics. And that's the thing is as, as a woman and as a strong woman, there's there was for a while this, oh, I don't need a man. Well, we all need each other and there's polarity and anything. And, and I don't mean, I'm not talking specifically about gender sex. I'm talking about the feminine and masculine energy, regardless of, I mean, this is true of same-sex couples as well. But I thought it was a really interesting moment of when you are in that role in the strong female and you're out there and you're being a badass. I don't want to, I, I want you to, I want you to hold me now. Like I want, there was yeah, that yeah. kind of, I thought that was a really sweet, tender moment that resonated with me differently later in life. than it did, you know, as a teenager, you're just like, oh, they're so cute. She gets, you know, Luke Perry wasn't a big deal then, but you know, <laughs> he gets Luke Perry. Who's Luke Perry? Nobody knows. Okay. Oh, <laughs> he was, yeah, he was, I mean, that 921 was hot back then. That was, yeah, that was the, that was the thing. <laughs> the deal. Yeah. And Rucker Hour, of course, is the foil here, which I, I like the casting of this movie a lot. They, they, they nail the kind of up and coming people. They get the two veteran actors on both sides, the, the bad guy, the good guy, the Sutherland and Hour. And then they have some like rando cameo people on incidentally that wind up being big stars themselves but at rucker hour he's like in the middle of this like action star phase he's doing <laughs> i'm like all right and um just like b-level kind of action movies but here he's he's pretty interesting vampire like he's he's not i don't know like he's kind of classic yeah but it doesn't it, it, like he's finally hit a generation that's not fallen for it type thing. Like he's a little bit in the past and that kind of is his downfall. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting now that I, that I think about it in the terms of comparing that one to the series, because he is sort of that classic, like Dracula vibe with it. And that was not the vampire that was in the TV series. Too, too, yeah. Right? And so I wonder if that was not, and I don't have any information on it, but I wonder if that was one of the elements that, sort of evolved from that because he is he's very i mean he has the coffin he has the room he has the cape right (laughs) and we keep going to flashbacks when he was more like in his like prime of things (laughs) and he's still like it's like he hasn't moved on and you see that buffy is able to come and change who she is and that's how you know she defeats him because she's been able to move on with her times and he has not principle of adaptation yes (laughs) yeah definitely and i i kind of like this take like with the the campiness vampire thing it's very much like it reminds me of fright night where you take the classic vampire mythos meets modern teen pop culture and it really kind of mixes in granted there's not the seductive chris sarandon uh, neighbor vampire uh, jerry but it's kind of got that vibe where it's like here's this old thing with kind of a little new spin on it but people treat it like as a classic thing in our modern lives but we yeah, spin it in a modern way. And it's, it, I think it definitely would double feature pretty well with Fright Night. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I did think it was interesting the vampires don't turn to dust. Well, the thing was, like, this is a movie. And uh, I believe Joss Whedon said he had to dust because where are they gonna, there's going to be so many bodies during a TV show's run that where are they going to put them all and drag them around. In the movie, they didn't, right? No, like, in the movie, they don't. They, they yeah. can do that in the movie. Yeah. yeah. But in the but, show, like, it's going to go. Dust in the movie. <laughs> right. That was a that was a that was a logic saving concept for the show since it's gonna if it if it goes and it runs as long as he wants it to it's gonna be a lot of bio, b- vampire buddies piling up yeah. in Sunnydale <laughs> so they changed that and that because they decided to dust them that actually ended up eating into their like budget because that had to be conceived of like throwing in dust effects for every episode oh, so sometimes they'd happen off screen or something like that, try to get clever around him. Cause he's like, Oh crap. I established this cool dusting effect and now it's in the budget every time <laughs> cu- or cutting against it. Uh, but yeah, they, they die just stake in the heart, fall down yeah. and <laughs> detention, detention. 
yeah. You know, it's a movie. They could do that, and it's it's over after this. And they also, in the original script, Merrick got bit. Before he can convert, he killed himself. He staked oh, himself with it, and they didn't. I guess Sutherland didn't like that. Some of his changes, and that pissed Whedon off. Uh, and she burns down the gym, which the show is actually a follow to the original script. So mm-hmm. things are yeah, same but different. Yeah. Well, that's what that was one of the ones that because in the start of the series with Sarah Michelle Geller, she she's burned the gym down in yeah. L.A. And her parental figure like is different there. She's got I a single cares. single yeah. mom who cares, <laughs> who has a name. Yeah, and it's weird because Candy Clark. In this, the first credit at the end is Candy Clark as Buffy's mom. And then the rest of the cast list comes up. So, like, Candy's agent couldn't get her in the opening credits to be a star. <laughs> so she got her right at the front at the end. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, really, I was like, nobody hanging out with Candy? She's separate no? from everybody else, huh? <laughs> She's just like she was in the movie, not caring. Not caring. Oh, uh, the Slayer has a birthmark in this. That's a that's a different thing, which she had removed. That oh, that Harry, Dude, that Harry Mole. I had that removed. Yeah, and and she uh, she has a spidey sense of getting cramps when the yeah, vampires yeah, are. Yeah, great. Uh, My secret weapon is PMS. Right. Yeah. Was, I was glad that one went away for the TV. Yeah, that's, it's that's straight off. So. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was like. Oh, I'm not sure that was well thought through right yeah. there, no, but I don't think so. Right, and oh, the the Watcher's immortal in this, and they're totally mortal dudes you know and that was interesting because when i watched it i left with this was my apparently my misperception about it was that i was under the impression that merrick was just reincarnating over and over and over that's what i thought too but like i when i was reading they were like oh he's immortal i'm like oh i thought he just meant like there's been a bunch of me over the years like just like Uh, there have been yeah that that was how how i took it because that was like that he had just kept coming back in the like his soul's reincarnating Mm -hmm. right back in the same role over and over and over again but i and so in researching it myself, that was something I was like, huh, didn't get that from it, but okay. Right. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I guess so. But yeah, the, I mean, the movie really cooks. It go. I mean, it's it's a swift, it's it's a really quick movie. Short. Paul Rubin steals every scene he's in. He's yeah. <laughs> quite great. I One thing I, I did think, like, they're good at getting, like, trailer-worthy shots with the action, but there's, if I had to make one, like, critique, I think some of their cutting and action could have been more interestingly done. But, mm-hmm. I mean, you have someone going from uh, Tokyo Pop, which I'm not sure was an animated or something film, to a live action first time. So definitely some room to work there if I was to give it one big critique. But this isn't a movie I like sit hard and go, well, (laughs) like, you know, Fellini would have done this. No, I I, I enjoy what it is. I I remember this movie, like, I saw it on VHS the first time. I didn't go to the theater to see it. And I remember the weekend it came out, begged my, I was like, I need to go rent it. And my parents took me to the rental store and it was late at night and they were all out of it, but it was playing on the TV behind the counter. And I was like, so yeah, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And they're like, no, we're all out. I'm like, what about that one? And they're like, you want to rent the one in the TV? I'm like, well, if, if it's available. I like how you roll. <laughs> and then the guy's like, "Can I? Let me ask my manager." And I heard like the manager's like, "Dude, that's money. Get it out." <laughs> and so I read the copy that was at the store. I think they asked if it could like play to the end, and it was close to the end or something. I'm like, okay, uh-huh. sure. And so I got the one from that, and I watched it, and I liked it a lot. I was like, "This was." I mean. The movie, I was like, this looks really cool. I remember the title being such a strange thing to people when it came out. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the feeling people had about Dude, Where's My Car? They had about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Or Earth Girls Are Easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like one of those titles that just threw adults for a loop. Like, oh my gosh. I'm like, it's comedy. Like, it's going to have a, like, why not have a funny title? It's it's vampires with comedic take for teens. There you go. And it delivered on everything I was hoping it would back then. And so I guess I've had this soft spot and going back to it after going the TV series, I'm like, this is nowhere near as good as the show, but it's still good itself. Like I I still enjoy that with it. And I'm glad it has itself because it wasn't, wasn't well received when it came out by the (laughs) critics, wasn't high grossing at the box office, but has managed to become a cult classic in its own right behind the shadow of the, the series and the even the Whedon hate against it, it still has had its its fans. It debuted at number five in 1992 at the box office. And I was like seeing like, who was it up against? Well, number one that weekend was Death Becomes Her. Oh, yeah. Number two was the third weekend of Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. <laughs> uh, number three was week two of Mo Money. Mm-hmm. And the fourth, which 
ties to this show because did it a couple weeks ago. A League of Their Own on week five. Oh wow, interesting. So that was that was really ahead of it, and it, I mean it ended up making uh, about two point five its budget back, which is fine. At back then, I don't think they spent as much as on marketing like they do now. I don't think you needed to make three times the budget back, but luckily somebody was into it and they got a TV series out of it. Uh, Joss Whedon met someone who liked the movie. He's like, Would, I heard you had problems. Would you like to try that as a show? And basically, you know, we know the CW now because of stuff like Buffy. Like, uh, um, it was the WB back then. And then she went to, she was on both WPB and then UPN. And then they became the CW. So that was, yeah. that was a big show because it led to Angel. And, you know, you had, you had other things on like Dawson's Creek also, but Dawson's Creek, they used Buffy as the launch pad for that show on January 20th of 1998 or yeah, 98, oh. I believe, because yeah. Dawson's Creek premiered on my birthday. Oh, nice. I remember that. <laughs> Probably oh. not the first time I mentioned that, but that's what it, it was on my birthday. And I was like, I'm watching this, this show about a kid who wants to make movies and stuff. Is that, and then I didn't like it. So it was a good see. And I, I, I didn't want to be a vampire slayer per se, but there was so much that resonated about that show with me that I loved so much. Like right, I said, right. I, I got a little bit too wrapped up in the Buffy Angel story. Oh, yeah. Like it still rips my heart out when I, I can't watch that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, yeah, that show, I, I, I like watch it here and there and avoid it. And I was like, I went back to him, like, this is like the greatest thing in the world. And I watch Angel, I'm like, this is also the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> Definitely. It's so fun to be able to talk about this. <laughs> what else? This is where we just talk about anything we've either put out in the world with our work, uh, something we wrote, did, or maybe something we read, watched, did, whatever, something else. So, Jennifer, what else? Oh, man, what else? That's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> Other than the same four walls for the last year. There you go. <laughs> you know, I've been so into, you know, working on and putting together things for the business. And I'm big about like pulling together like all kinds of different ideas. Like I look at different mm-hmm. things and I see different things. And so kind of what I'm into right now and, and to get a little bit onto the woo side is marrying the idea of manifesting. Right. I don't know how familiar you are with like spiritual concepts of like manifesting things. Okay. So there's the side, like the sort of woo woo side where people are like, oh, just sit on the couch and manifest. Like it doesn't work that way. And, but I I'm sort of fascinated by all the different principles, both on the spiritual side and on the practical side. Like I've, I've always been really into personal development, like Tony Robbins, Brian Tracy, like Dale Carnegie, Napoleon Hill, right? Mm-hmm. Like marrying these concepts with some of the woo woo spiritual concepts, right? And like seeing how these things all tie together and and the common threads. I'm a big one on common threads. Like I see common threads under religion, under faith, under, you know, so that's kind of what I've been geeking out on lately is like pulling together all these things. There's a book in me about this, (sighs) but that's, that's one of my what else is right now. (laughs) There you go. That's a good one. That's a unique one. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely. I like that. Well, mine's pretty lame. Uh, I finally finished uh, the the book, uh, the Star Wars book, High Republic: Light of the Jedi. I'm not into reading like every once in a while. I'll I'll expunge into this expanded universe stuff. They started this like thing called the High Republic, which is this like cross platform stuff with like adult books, teen books, kids books, comic books. There's going to be one a Disney Plus show that ties into all of them. Uh, I think there's some video games. I, I, I'm not into all that. I just got the adult book. I'm like, I'll check this out. It took me a while to get through it. I've been busy. First 100 pages was a really quick read, like a short chapters, a lot going on, introducing these new characters, because it just takes place like before The Phantom Menace, like, like I don't know, a couple hundred years or whatever, so they can kind of just, here's stuff we made up, and we don't have to worry about anything else later on. We can do what we want. So it's got all new characters, and... It was interesting, a little too much not being its own self-contained novel after the opening and being like, we're setting up for things down <laughs> the road. And But it was it was an entertaining read. I Maybe we'll get to book two when that comes out in the summer, but I guess I'm glad I know the, I know the characters it's going to be happening to now. That's fine. But I've got plenty of other stuff to read, so if I hear good things about the next one, maybe I'll get to it faster. But I did read the first one. I wanted to do that, and 
It's done now after like a month. It took me to read the damn thing. <laughs> I got through the first 100 pages like this and then started yeah. slowing down, which is fine. There's a little mystery angle to it. This is interesting. I haven't talked about any books I've read in a while, so that was... Uh- I, I am such a, a, well, obviously, you know, I was an English major and then mm-hmm. worked in the book business for so long and before it became the digital business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I joke, I have an 800 square foot condo and 200 square feet of it is books. At least it's growing. I won't buy more books. No, I buy more books. <laughs> I won't buy more books till I read the ones I have. Yeah, no, yeah I'm exactly. Lying. No, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I, I, my books started to stack up of like stuff I really wanted to like instantly read. And then yeah. I just, I get tied up with other other life things. And I am a person where I need a bit somewhat ideal conditions to read or I just get frustrated or things like that. And yeah. When I have children during the daytime is not. And then at nighttime, I'm too tired. And then so <laughs> I try, I try. And that, that happens. Sometimes I get the mindset to read, then something bugs me before it. And I'm like, nope, can't read right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I, I love, I love to read so much and it's, I have to, to allow myself time to like specifically do that, like turn off the phone, turn off the, you know, just find the time where I'm not distracted and where I'm not going to put it down to be able to actually, I did actually finish a book. Unplug uh, the TV, and, turn off your phone. Exactly. All the things. Cause any, well, not that anybody's flying anymore consistently anyway, but it used to be nice when you were in the airplane, there was no Wi-Fi. Oh, yeah. Nobody could bother you. And now it's a blessing and a curse, but I'm notorious. There are always so many things that I'm interested in that I'm notorious for starting a book and then starting another one and then starting another one. And so I have multiple books sitting around my house that are about that have bookmarks like a quarter to a half of the way. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. That's great. So I get really interested in it. And usually they're like nonfiction, you know, topics, but I get really interested in it. And then I'm like, oh, but I want to see this too. And so I'll start to read that one as well. So. Oh, my. Yeah, I can never do, I can't do books at the same time. I, I've always just been one book till the end. Yeah. I probably I could do that. I, I did finish uh, one of the few that I've finished in a, in a long time. So I was an English major, right? I've said that a couple of times. Mm-hmm. I, I'd never heard of Jane Austen's persuasion, literally had a dream about the book. And it was like, saw the cover of the book in my dream. And I was like, mm-hmm. all right, I guess I'm going to read that. So I picked it up and read it, read it, read it start to finish. It's a very good book. So that was a book I've completed lately. <laughs> there you go. Last year I read Dune and that was a... Oh, I bought it. Haven't read it yet either. <laughs> um, I've seen the movie, so yeah. I read, I read Dune no problem in like middle school. And I, so I've had this copy of Dune. I'm like, I'm going to read it again before the movie. I did uh, the episode on the David Lynch one for my old podcast years and years ago. And I was like, I'm going to read the book before we do that podcast. And I picked it I was like... No. And this thing, so like Dune was actually short stories published in a magazine and now collaborating. So it doesn't flow well like a book and it's super dense, but it's really good, but it's a tough read. Like I, I, it's the weirdest thing to say to people. I'm like, this is one of the best science fiction novels I've ever read, but it's a challenge to read and it's not for everybody. And like the story is probably for everybody, but the way I like, and People say that you, it's impossible to film that thing, but I'm like, it's possible. You just need the right. I think they have the right person right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, Alejandro Hodorowski would have been good back in the 70s, but they never made that version of it. But yeah, it's it's the weirdest thing because it's like this is the toughest book to read, but it's great. It's really fun. So, <laughs> so kind of like War and Peace. I don't know. If War and Peace is fun. <laughs> <laughs> But Dune's not really fun either, and I'm really excited. Yeah. I, read, I really my my drive for this was not so much the first book, but the second book, Dune Messiah, is supposed to be fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. So I, I really want it. Like if they made like someone's like, I hope they get this movie's a hit, so then get to that one, and then just see all this like all this like stan like fan worship culture go nuts because they're gonna get pissed the fuck off when they see what happens. I'm like, oh, I need to see what happens in that book. So yeah, oh, that's interesting because that's what the, the impetus for buying the book was seeing that they were remaking it. I was like, you know, yeah. I, I watched the original a million years ago, mm-hmm. but I, I was like, oh, I'd be curious to read the book. So I have it. It's on my stack, one of my stacks. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So I need, yeah, that's uh, this year I need to get to Dune Messiah. That's what I need to to get to. <laughs> and if I like that, maybe I'll get to the third. There's there's a lot of books now because like his son picked it up, like his notes and whatever after he died because he didn't get to write all. I think it was supposed to be like seven books and he like didn't get to do the last two. Or maybe I'm working that with another fandom or something, but there's supposed to be like seven. And then they just kept getting into it and writing more, not by Frank Herbert Dune. But 
don't know. First book, yeah. Just watch the movie when it comes out, I guess, people. <laughs> if you're not into reading, Dune's not going to convert you anytime <laughs> soon. So, all right. Well, that'll do it for today on the show. Jennifer, I appreciate taking the time and stopping to talk Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's been a lot of fun. So before we sign off, where can people keep up with you and your work? Absolutely. For, well, first of all, thank you so much. I was excited to be on and love to talk about Buffy and excited to chat with you. My website is jenniferrayford.com, W-R-E-Y-F-O-R-D. I'm on Instagram as jrayallday, J-W-R-E-Y, all day. That's where you can find me. I also have Courage to Rise. It's still an active website. All right. Excellent. Courage Rise podcast. Boom. Subscribe on iTunes or Apple Music. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon4KUHD, written work at YSOBlue.com. There's more from the Brandon Peters Show this week. But until then, always remember to keep the positivity in your online film chatter. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Osman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found. Life's a bitch. I'll give you that. But Buffy, you're the guy. You are the chosen guy. Right. I'm the chosen one. And I choose to be shopping.